0: Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host,
1: Mike Abadir. February 20th, 2020, Gino Bacola here on The Mike Abadir Show, like always. Next to me is the main man, Mike Abadir. We have uh, NBA basketball getting ready to kick off the second half of the season. We have NCAA basketball. We're getting set for the the end of the uh, the conference play and going to be getting into the conference tournaments into uh, March Madness pretty soon. We have uh, NFL possible playoff changes coming up. We have a huge boxing fight this weekend. But still, Mike, the the center. Of the sports world is this story with the Astros because it seems like each and every day there's like a new layer or there's a, a new player or there's something that Rob Manfred or Altuve or Correa tattoos things here and there it, it's crazy is it is this one of those things where it's good for baseball that we're talking about it or is it negative because this story is such a negative.
2: I mean like last year we had you know Bryce Harper and Machado Manny Machado as like the the headliners during the offseason and I think those were compelling enough storylines especially because you know it seemed like owners weren't you know making offers to free agents the last couple of years in a Timely manner, you know, winter meetings, December. You, you saw a lot of deals getting done later and later on. So those are the the big stories during the last couple of off seasons. This has probably been more of an eventful off season than the years prior, probably for the wrong reasons. I shouldn't even say probably. Clearly for the wrong reasons. But you know, I'm a big believer in uh, what Neon Dion Sanders used to always say, which is, you know, any any publicity, any marketing is good marketing, but. I'm curious to hear the uh, take of an insider. Uh, so let's get to our first guest, Gino, and uh, hear from himself. Man, that's going to be going to spring training covering Dodger camp from Baseball America. Kyle Glazer has been a guest for with us several times before. Kyle, welcome back to the show. How are things with you?
3: Hey, Kyle. Doing, doing all right. Glad to be back on with you guys.
2: Appreciate it. So, you know, what, what's your take on, on that before we get things, you know, really rolling here? Do you think that, Baseball being in the conversation on a daily basis, big you know, uh, interaction story or storylines um, in social media, especially in the Twitterverse. But you know, what are your thoughts about just that concept of if people are talking baseball, regardless of what it is, that that could be a good thing?
3: Yeah, I'm not a big believer in the there's no such thing as bad publicity. When you have something that's calling into account the integrity of the game, where you have players, you know, re- reportedly receiving death threat death threats, as Mike Fiers did, fans on social media threatening each other, calling each other stupid. When we all saw the calamity of a few weeks ago when an anonymous Twitter account suggested buzzers and then this thing about Mike Trout taking HCH, which MLB came out and denied. It's just up in a cluster, and I I really don't think anyone can sit here today and say the game of baseball is better for it. A lot of trust has been eroded. Uh, The worst in people have come out. I think things would have been a lot better if we were going into spring training and people were talking about the massive contracts that were signed by Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon, how the money had opened up, how we had a tremendous World Series last year at the Nationals, and where people didn't have to call into question everything that took place during the 2017 World Series champion and potentially the 2018 World Series champion pending what the report says about the Red Sox and their sign stealing allegations.
2: So just to play a little devil's advocate here, though, do you think that, like, when I say that there could be, a, you know, it may be a case made that there are some positives, what about viewership, what about interest, what about fan interest, what about when Houston comes to town in each of the major league you know, cities, all the ball clubs, um, there could be a, maybe a renewed level of of interest just based on having an enemy, you know. For the longest time, having the Yankees being the enemy was a good thing for baseball. Seems like the Astros are maybe even usurp the Red Sox and the Yankees as enemy number one. Um, so, you know, could it lead to better ratings, attendance, um, to offset maybe those who are disgusted by the uh, level of cheating involved?
3: The people who weren't going to pay 60 $70. A ticket before are not going to suddenly start paying sixty-seven dollars a ticket just because the Astros cheated. The people who considered baseball too boring to watch beforehand aren't going to watch a Tuesday game featuring the Astros all of a sudden just because of this cheating allegation. The people who cared about baseball before are going to continue to care about it. People who were casual fans of baseball before might have their interest peak a little bit but not enough that all of a sudden they're going to go spend all their disposable income just to go purchase tickets to watch the Astros come to town and people who didn't care about baseball before probably not going to care that much about it again especially as we get into the dog day of the summer um, again, I'm very, very skeptical of this idea that all of a sudden just because the Astros cheated and people are talking about it and you know, social media is going crazy, that's somehow going to lead to increased ticket sales and you know, sustained viewership bump, especially for one team out of 30. I really don't think that the potential gains are going to do anything to overshadow the damage done to the integrity of the game and, and what we've seen people say and do and, and the worst that's come out of people.
1: Um, can we... Talk a little bit about Rob Manfred because I think what uh, w- the the two people to me that came off really poor all week. I mean, the players obviously they've they've kind of been in a weird spot because they've been kind of half apologizing, but they're not really going all the way. They're still kind of trying to say, well, we still kind of earned this and this and that, and they're kind of responding to other players' comments. But to me, the the people that looked the worst were was the owner of the Astros, Mr. Crane. And, and, and Rob Manfred. I mean, they like for, when Crane was talking, I like, I don't, it almost felt like it was a, a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> like he was saying things that were like, did he, is this for real? And, and then I, I think we all saw what with Manfred's conference uh, comments on Sunday and how like Justin Turner and a lot of baseball responded where he was calling, you know, the World Series trophy a piece of metal. And um, I just, to me, of, of everyone, they came off. So so poorly. Like, wh- wh- how did you think that, that like their responses were this week?
3: So no one should be surprised that Jim Crane came off poorly. Look, I think it's strange to me that people seem to expect the best from defensive, arrogant billionaires who rarely have had to talk to anyone, <laughs> anyone who isn't you know yeah. sucking up to them on a daily basis. The fact that Jim Crane uh, is again defensive, arrogant. And, frankly, just not very good at dealing with the real world it Should not surprise anyone. We see that over and over and over again with uh, the wealthiest of the wealthy, especially those who are able to insulate themselves into elite clubs, such as the 30 individuals who are the majority owners of major league baseball teams. Um, Rob Manfred's lack of awareness was more surprising just in the sense of to have a commissioner of the sport. Look, he's been involved in baseball for many, many years in many, many roles, dating back to the early 2000s. For him to had not have the awareness to realize that calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal, the signature achievement that every that drives his business, that drives the business of baseball, that "quote unquote" piece of metal is what convinces players to put in untold amounts of hours to perfect their craft. That's what I mean. That piece of metal employs thousands of people all across Major League Baseball in all sorts of roles. And for him to have the lack of awareness and humility and to just be arrogant and dismissive of the trophy as well as, in essence, the players' complaints about it, that was shocking to hear from a commissioner. And, you know, I think there's a lot of criticisms aimed at Manfred. Look, you can't promise to give people immunity and then just because you don't like what they have to say, go back on your immunity. This idea that they can withdraw the immunity is ridiculous. It cannot happen. should not happen. You know, in terms of laying punishments down... You know, you can argue you could have fined the Astros more. I think vacating a title is kind of foolish. There's not, you know, we see it with the NCAA. Everyone knows USC won the 2004 NCAA football title. Everyone knows Louisville won the 2013 NCAA basketball championship. Vacating a title doesn't really do a whole lot. Um, I just think that up until that point, you could say, okay, he, you know, this is really the most he could do. Here's why. But as soon as he said that, he lost all credibility with the players and, you know, Justin Turner was one of many to call him out on it. So that, to me, was the more surprising of the two, that that Jim Crane didn't get it, was going to defend his ring, and his money should surprise no one.
2: Yeah, you know, Manfred's lack of eloquence on the subject matter was a little bit surprising to me. I thought just even from a PR standpoint, he could have postured things and presented things quite a bit differently. And I agree with you. I think that he was probably stuck between a rock and a hard place, especially – When you consider that the Major League Baseball Players Union, uh, you know, the, the, the union is the strongest of any pro sports union, extremely strong. They would have been able to probably get any kind of punishment dismissed. There's no precedent for it. I don't know what the CBA directly states regarding such issues, but I think my thought my thought process is if you come out and at least deliver not just a strong statement about how this is not only frowned upon, but that we are going to take an immediate measure and say from here on forward, Now, obviously you're going to get going to have to get union approval, but I think in the midst of the chaos, they probably could have got it, but something like, you know, if anything like this was, you know, resembling this happens again, a year suspension or some type of penalty. Would, do you think that would maybe have changed people's mindsets about, You know, the job that Manfred's doing, because I'm seeing a lot of commentary about Manfred should, you know, be replaced. And I think that's maybe a little bit overboard.
3: I think it was overboard until he called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. Uh, Once he did that, it's become very, very clear. He's not the steward the game needs in a time of crisis. Um, Look, Rob Manfred comes from a, you know, the, the stereotypical New York, aggressive labor lawyer background, and he's shown that in press conferences. You know, his aggressiveness uh, towards the reporter who broke the story that they had sent an email to Jeff Lunau talking about Codebreaker and his just aggressive posture toward it and his condescension to the reporter about it is kind of who he is. It's who he's been in most of his press conferences. Um, I think it's become clear he, he does not have maybe the attitude at this point to you know, lead Major League Baseball in this time of crisis. He needs to be humble. He needs to be apologetic and and be willing to admit that he probably got this wrong. Um, in terms of future discipline, there are obviously a lot of different avenues you can take. Negotiations with the union tend to take some time. We'll remember during the steroid era, the first union wouldn't really talk about any kind of punishments. Eventually they did, but it was a, it was a 10 plus year process from okay, we know this is in the game, to actually having some discipline. And then the discipline had to be increased later on down the road. Uh, You'll remember the initial discipline. I think it was 25 games for a first offense, then 50. Now uh, you'll see guys suspended 50, 80, or in some cases a full season on a second offense. So that's a long process. I think where you can fault Manfred is that crane and the ownership got away scot-free. Um, obviously, Lou Now and Hinch lost his job. The players have to live with the stain of you know, a tainted championship and tainted World Series rings and the ire of their players, which does count for something. Um, but Crane got away scot-free. What I would have been interested to see is the Major League Constitution limits the amount the commissioner can fine a team to $5 million. I would have been interested to see Manfred invoke the best interest of baseball clause or any of the powers that the commissioner has to say, you know what, in the case like this, we have a team that financially benefited from cheating, and I'm going to find them the amount that they received from their 2017-2018 postseasons because we cannot have that level of financial benefit. Uh, for example, the Astros postseason shares 2017-2018 were just north of $41 million. That doesn't take into account Postseason ticket revenue, postseason media revenue, postseason merchandise revenue. If I was Rob Manfred, I would have said the $5 million fine compared to the you know, $50, $60, $70 million you received and earned from participating in those postseasons, it pales a comparison, and that doesn't deter any future owner from doing this. I say, fine them whatever the amount was from their 2017, 2018 postseasons and then invoke the best interest of baseball clause. That's what's going to deter ownership from a signing off on schemes like this in the future, or being able to play the, Oh, I didn't know card. It's going to wake owners up and say, Hey, if I'm not aware of this and it's happening in my organization, that's not going to protect me. That's the standard they set for general managers and managers. It's what they need to set for owners as well.
2: Yeah. You know, I was kind of thinking the same thing about the draft picks, right? The loss of draft pick. And I do think that's going to sting a little bit, but I was, I was kind of thinking, okay, why not a fine for each year that there's, you know, that there's found to be an infraction and then t- time, the same number of years, you know, losing draft picks for 2017, 2018. So, you know, the next consecutive drafts, not being able to have, you know, a first and second round pick or whatever the case may be, as well as a $5 million fine in, in successive years. Because, hey, eventually, you know, that, that loss of, talent, top-end talent will come back to hurt them. And I think you know that more than anybody covering, um, you know, young baseball
3: players coming up through the minors. Yeah, look, the Astros have, like most successful teams, they had a great farm system as a result of their intentional tanking. That's not what's like most teams, but most teams that have a great farm system, you graduate that talent to the majors to give you a winning core. You trade some of the prospect depth for keep veterans to put you over the top. And because the Astros have done that and done that successfully, their farm system is now one of the bottom five in baseball. And again, it's bottom five in baseball for all the right reasons. You graduate Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and George Springer. You trade a bunch of other prospects for Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke and all these players who have helped put you over the top. Again, that's what you're supposed to do. And the fact that the Astros have the 28th-ranked farm system uh, by the Baseball America Organizational Talent Rankings, or 27th, excuse me. Um, That's a sign of their success and that they did it right. Now it's going to become more difficult to backfill this system just because you don't have a first and second round pick for the next two years. And we went back and looked at the history of this. Teams that don't pick until the third round, even for one year, it's basically a lost draft class. Um, It really, really sets them back. So the Astros' essentially are going to go two years where they can't really backfill a pretty limited farm system, they're going to feel that hurt, but they're not going to feel it probably for another you know four, five, six years. This is still a team that has a chance to compete in 2020 and 2021. I mean, this is a team that should be a World Series contender the next two years. Then we have to see what they do with a lot of people leaving in free agencies who gets refined, who doesn't. But the Astros aren't really going to feel the pain on the field from this until at least 2022. And that's when you're going to start seeing things kind of, you know, be a little more shallow just because they don't have the talent to replace the players they lost, in part because they lost all those draft picks.
1: So, okay. So so now, as all this is going on, there's another investigation happening right now uh, on the Red Sox. So what I, what I want to know is, after we've seen the dumpster fire that has been this last couple of weeks, why are we, or any of us, supposed to believe what Manfred comes out and tells us about the Red Sox?
3: The crisis in credibility <laughs> is a problem in the sport. And that is something that Rob Manfred has to address, and that that is where... You know, look, this idea that Manfred should step down just because the Astros players weren't punished, that's not correct. Again, you can't grant someone immunity and then, based on what you hear, decide to take it away. Things don't work that way from either a legal or moral sense. Um, But if you were to say that because of the mishandling of the Astros situation, based on his comments, based on the fact that 11 days after he issued his report, Wall Street Journal came out and found evidence that it wasn't necessarily a player-driven scheme; that there was front office, at the very least, assistance, and at worst, it was a front office creation. Because without codebreaker, you can't decode the signs to bang the trash can in the first place. Um, I think the fact that that was contradicted so quickly—look, there's a credibility crisis within the leadership of Major League Baseball, and that's where the argument that Manfred should step down comes in. Because you're right there is no reason to believe now that when this Red Sox report comes out, it will be 100% accurate and everything will be out in the open and nothing will be hidden. And there's no more secrets under a rock somewhere because we've seen with the Astros case. That certainly wasn't the case. So, um, that's a problem and major league baseball and its owners need to address that. And the commissioner and his staff needs to address that. There is a crisis in credibility here, that I don't know even yet if they fully understand. And that's going to, I think, if anything, you know, you talk about, oh, is there going to be more interest in Major League Baseball because of this crisis? It's probably going to be less interest. There's probably going to be less fans willing to put their disposable income towards this product, knowing that they don't really trust anything they see and they don't trust the leadership at the top to get it right.
2: All very, very good points. What are some of the uh, shifting gears here? What the, actually, before we shift gears, I do have one more question, and I suspect I know the answer. What are your, what are your thoughts or, or your feelings when you hear somebody like, you know, such a legendary player who's got a, a, you know, a big, you know, voice to be heard? And Big Poppy coming in and saying that yeah, Mike, you know, coming down hard, uh, you know, with, with his snitch comments today.
3: I think it's a little bit the pot calling the kettle black. I distinctly don't remember David (laughs) Ortiz in 2000. You know, let's not forget David. New York Times broke the story that David Ortiz tested positive for PEDs in 2003, along with Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. He was among them. I don't remember. He was in the same clubhouse as Manny Ramirez. I don't remember him coming out during the Red Sox 2003, 2004 season saying, "Hey, there's steroids happening in here." I, I mean. This is a guy who also has a bit of a track record that's concerning, um, in regards to league rules and violating, you know, the, the rules of the league and not saying anything about it, him and his teammates. So again, this idea that Mike Fires is somehow at fault for no, seeing something illegal happening and doing something about it is kind of ridiculous. So this entire concept of a snitch is ridiculous. If something illegal or against the rules of your business are happening, you tell someone about it, period. Nothing is more important than the integrity of whatever your business is, or in this case, what the game is. Nothing. Mike Fires did the right thing, and the truth is 99.9% of the players know it and believe it. It's crazy fans and people with a very backward sense of priorities that think otherwise. David Ortiz has done a lot of good for the game. He's been a great ambassador for the city of Boston, um, but... He's just wrong on this. And again, you go back to, you know, again, I, if, if he'd come out in 2003 when he's in the Red Sox clubhouse and, you know, had said, hey, guys, there's steroids happening here. It's not okay. Then he could talk. But he didn't do that. So I don't understand why he thinks Mike Fiers should have done that.
2: I think, I think the main, you know, reason that you have some people, maybe even some players that feel this way is probably just because Mike Fires benefited dramatically and didn't say anything at that time, waited until he was on a division rival, you know, some time had passed, and then made the comments, you know, I'm not justifying Big Poppy's stance. I'm just saying I think that's probably a part of it. We could probably talk about this all day, uh, Kyle, and I know your time is limited. We we wanted just to quickly ask you, you know, what are some of the uh, intriguing storylines that you're uh, interested in as you're about to head out to Arizona for spring training in the Cactus League?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, obviously the uh, the Astros are going to be playing out in the Grapefruit League, and I think everyone will be watching to see if someone throws at any of their hitters. I don't think we'd see that in the Grapefruit League. I think once the regular season starts, maybe something happens. But heading out to Arizona here in a few days, obviously everything with the Dodgers, both kind of their reaction to everything that happened with the Astros, how they loaded up this offseason, getting Mookie Betts, getting David Price, and also Bruiser Gratterall, who is potentially going to be their closer and waiting behind Kenley Jansen. We've seen the Dodgers bullpen. Kind of lack the high impact arms that could really help them in the postseason. Gretel's a rookie. There's going to be a learning curve, but I actually think he's going to be a very nice addition and and someone the Dodgers should be lauded for landing in this trade as well. Um, That's obviously the main storyline in Arizona, what's happening with the Dodgers. But, you know, you, you look around. The Angels have loaded up a little bit. The A's are still in the hunt. I think seeing how those two teams, if they're able to kind of keep everyone healthy and go into the season, maybe take advantage of if the Astros fall off a little bit. Um that's an interesting storyline to me. The White Sox were out in Glendale, you know, they share a camelback ranch with the Dodgers. That to me is one of the sleeper teams of this season. There's a ton of young talent. They brought in some great veterans in free agency and acquired Nomar Mazarin, a steal of a trade. I think seeing if they're coming together and kinda of looking like the two thousand eighteen Braves did and, you know, hitting a year early. I think those are some of the main storylines that I'll all be looking for. Um look, there's a ton of young talent in baseball today. This is arguably the most talented the game has ever been just in terms of the level of athletes that are playing it um, the velocity we're seeing, the movement we're seeing, the just the overall abilities. And, and I think it'll be good to get games happening back on the field again and people able to see that and remember why they love this game, why they fell in love with it and why they care about
2: it. Yeah, and it's not a, a big national storyline, but I'm 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 kind of intrigued to see how the uh, new look uh, retooled Padres outfield looks and you know, uh, that's going to be a really fun division. I think to follow a lot of good young talent as well as, you know, Machado bringing some leadership uh, presence to that Padres lineup and maybe see if Petco can be known for something beyond being a pitcher's park. But yeah, I agree with you. MLB is loaded with talent. I hope that that becomes the focus sooner than later. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. You, Definitely uh, appreciate having you on and uh, we'll check back in with you as a uh, as things kind of start heating up in baseball sounds good guys anytime thanks kyle gino we are um, way over on a commercial break so let's take one and we'll come back and resume the conversation please stay with us we'll be right back
1: us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn
0: want to play the ponies and win at winning ponies we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys trainers and handicappers For Outside the Huddle, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at the show.com
1: Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show. Big thanks to our first guest, Kyle. You, you, you think that, like, I heard... Um, uh, Tim Kirchin and Buster Olney, they were talking yesterday on, on Buster's uh, podcast that he has. And he, he said, I think I have had one conversation in the last two weeks that involved anything to do with actual baseball. Like right now would be all the times that they're like giving the previews. Like like you know, we'd be you know like oh, yeah. previewing the Red Sox, previewing the Dodgers, like thirty and win, thirty making, is that what they call it, thirty tips, yeah. thirty days, all that stuff. Yeah. Make your make your uh, you know, division predictions. Let's go through all the player movement. How come, you know, Yasiel Puig and some guys still haven't been signed yet? You know, like we'd be talking about all those things. Instead, there's is not any part of the conversation
2: whatsoever. Well, look what we just did. We we had him on for almost twenty four minutes. And I think and three we spent, minutes well, of- one minute on spring training, yeah, yeah. Like three minutes on spring training. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's dominating. It's 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 dominating. And like you pointed out at the very top of the show, it just seems like we're getting new material on a regular basis, you okay, know, so sometimes like on last- a daily basis.
1: Yeah. So starting last week, it was Friday when Bellinger came out and talked, you know, and he his comments were the first ones that were really, really like, you know, he didn't like, give bam. Up. Like, didn't here care. You go. What this is my he was honest saying. opinion. He didn't care about any repercussions or yep. anything at all. He, he he said exactly what he was feeling, and then that was Friday. So then Saturday, Correa comes back, and he says he doesn't like Bellinger's comments. And then then we hear about the tattoo for the first time. Like, why hadn't we heard about this tattoo until then? You okay, now let me let me stop you right there, though.
2: Did you watch the interview uh, with Ken Ro- Rosenthal where Correa went? You know, at bat by at bat. Yes. Which is, the, no, what do, What are your thoughts about that? Because that is he him. made some compelling points. And by the way, I was really impressed. I was like, man, either he went over this or his memory is like really, really vivid because he he nailed it in terms of being able to recite all of those at bats. That was pretty well, the,
1: impressive. The, the problem is, is that there were three times through the conversation that he had with Ken Rosenthal where he's saying things like, I get mad when people who don't know the facts start to talk. And then he says things and Rosenthal has to correct him 3 times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you don't well, know well, your look, own crap. From track.
2: a PR perspective, they're really really s- screwing up and shooting themselves in the it's foot just, definitely.
1: It's like you you can't uh, unfortunately even if if what he said when he was, you know, breaking down the analysis and saying, "Look, we didn't cheat in these specific situations," even if all of that was true. All of it. You don't get any benefit of the doubt anymore, unfortunately. That's just what what's happened when you when you all admitted to cheating and we know you cheated, if there's an either or like something where we're on the fence, the public perception is not going to give you the benefit of the doubt period. And he is kind of delusional for having said for like thinking so. Like he even said
2: yeah, but I like, mean here's the thing what would what would you and I do? You know, let's say we're on the same team. You know, and and we're, we're like, you know what, man, man, we would. And, you know, these players have a lot of confidence, you know, some not all have egos, but you have to at least, you know, be very confident in your abilities and stuff. You and I are probably looking at each other and saying, man, man, they're making such a big deal about this. We would have won the World Series anyways. We would. Man, we were the best team. We were balling. You know, we, I but think isn't, that's isn't probably that how like they're going to I know, but so like,
1: isn't that like insane? That literally seems like somebody that you would they, – they cheated. They know they cheated. They admitted to cheating, which is really funny because even it, – it's funny how this, this Correa interview went because he was so adamant about it didn't really – like we, we still won that, that World Series fair and square against the Dodgers, and Altuve still got his MVP, but then at the end of the interview, when they talk about Crane's comments, he says, well, Crane was wrong. It absolutely helped us. Of course it helped us. Of course we had an advantage. So that it's just he's so inconsistent. He's all over the place. If you're, If you're guaranteeing me that Altuve is super clean and it didn't give you any advantage and he deserves to win that MVP. So you're telling me that Altuve never came up when there was a runner on base who benefited. He never came up when there was a new pitcher that came into the game because one of the other guys who had been cheating got you know knocked the, the, the Ace pitcher out of the game. He never yeah, got. You, know, you, you make never, an
2: interesting point there, and I'm, he was uh, never actually, on
1: second base when he got knocked in and, and scored a run by somebody else who was cheating. Well, and let's then, talk about Altuve for a second,
2: though, because you, you you make some really good points, and I don't know if you heard Harold Reynolds kind of go over this, but he made some really 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 interesting observations, and. Brought some facts into into play. So I he saw. was saying when he used to play, uh, he didn't like getting signs. Sure. He said I, I didn't like it. Tony Gwynn uh, didn't didn't like it. Uh, I don't like, you know. He, he was basically saying he wants to get into his own zone, and it's almost like one of those things where you almost overthink it when somebody starts reeling to you I stolen that. signs. Sure. So he was saying, you know, myself, Tony Gwynn. He named a few players from his era that were like that. So he's, he said, I have it on good authority that Altuve is one of those guys, that he just doesn't want any signs. Now, let's assume for the purpose of this conversation, Gino, that that is
1: indeed true. That's why he wore a buzzer. They still, they still <laughs> would have benefited, right? That's why he has a positive a wire. Well, he was because the, he didn't he want was, the banging. He just would get the, b- the bzzz bzzz right on his shirt right before, you know, if, on your if, chest. If, 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 that is,
2: if that is true. Um, Allegedly. But, Yeah, allegedly. Right. But but like even I mean, even if he wasn't involved in any sign stealing or the recipient of any information by a sign stealing, he's still being driven in by a sign stealer every time. So his hundred and eighteen runs, you know, is probably inflated by, you know, I don't know. I was doing some rough calculations based on some of the analytics that I saw. And I tried to kind of put it together in an Excel spreadsheet. You know, I. I was figuring somewhere between 3 and 7% inflated statistically.
1: Well, and and, 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 the win- and the all wins, the way through the wins. The right? wins are the key 7%. because, and by the way, eight, your team 3 7 good. baseball is huge. Oh, yeah. And if your team is good, you know, if, if the Astros, like last year, the Red Sox didn't have a – when you look at the record, it really wasn't a bad year. They didn't make the playoffs, though. They had, you know, some struggles throughout the season. But – There was never going to be anybody on that Red Sox team, no matter how good of a year they had, that would have won the MVP because they weren't very good. You know, Altuve, he could have had that same year on a team that wasn't very good, that was just not making the playoffs or was like not a top tier team, and he's not going to win the MVP. It just doesn't happen.
2: So So you're saying there's a lot of other benefits that are more than immediately meets the
1: eye. 100%. 100%. Agreed. And And to act like there aren't, to act like, He's completely clean. Everything he did was clean. Nobody else. And then, you know, again, Correa said Altuve was the only one. But then he says guys like Reddick and Kemp, they didn't want the trash cans either. I thought you just said Altuve was the only one.
2: Yeah. A lot of inconsistency there. (laughs) Well, but you you see, you have guys that aren't like necessarily polished or great
0: speakers. And and some of them are like
1: second language English. English, Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you you don't have like a bunch of like a front line. That's why you should just shut up. Yeah. You know know what I I mean? Like. You're, you're, you're better off not saying anything because there's no... At the very least... At the the best that could happen is people have a debate like we are having and maybe the Astros fans, like, who are... Some of them are saying things like, oh, well, you know what? We still could have won that. I'm sorry. When you win a World Series in Game 7 of a World Series and when you won one of those games in extra innings back and forth when you were down multiple times, when Kershaw destroyed, like, shut you down in the games that were not, you know... In game one and game seven, but you beat him up on the road, and there were that was one of the games that people talk about the banging and all that kind of stuff. Like, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. So you're just a, the best thing that you could do in like this crisis management is, you know what? We made a mistake. We're wrong. we we have to go out there and just try to prove it to to you and to everyone, and um and you know and hope that our play over the next few years can quiet this down. You should yeah. never say. But we still would have. Or, hey, that Bellinger. And then they start taking shots. He's like, well, Bellinger. But, you know, in all fairness,
2: they're being asked that, right? Do you think you would have won? They're not going to say, no, we think we would have lost.
1: I I think you just say it's it's really tough to say because we cheated. So I think it's hard to it's hard to determine. Like, we're we're very good baseball players. But unfortunately, we broke the rules. And and we'll never be able to know if we could have won or not.
2: You don't say I'm going to play devil's advocate for a quick minute here, because I think, first of all, and this will actually lead to my conclusion. I, I think the one of the most compelling things that I look at, if I'm somebody puts a gun to my head and says, try to come up with some support for Houston. Okay, I'll give it a shot. What I would say is this. Sign stealing is legal in baseball. It is legal. Cheating is legal in baseball. The method by which they trans- transmitted the information and received information is not legal in baseball. My conclusion, by the way, is they could probably just get rid of this by just saying that, you know, if we see any signs of, of uh, sign stealing, you know, um, next batter is automatically walked, you know, first base or based on balls or, or maybe even steeper penalty. I don't know, right? But just something, some kind of penalty in the game. And you just outlaw it in the first place. But you see, when you have it be legal, you know, that's like saying like, OK, you could do well, steroids up to 100 you, milligrams, but not you, 300 milligrams. Well, the right? only problem
1: well, with this, this is that in 2017, after the stuff happened with the Red Sox and the Yankees with the Apple Watches, yep, they, yep, sent out, they sent out memos to everybody and said, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. See, and at that so, point is when they should have gone to the union and defined
2: at that point in time, if Manfred was doing a good job and, and baseball management... They yeah. would have brought everybody together, the union and everything. And by the way, the one thing uh, – uh, Kyle had some great points about everything, and I agreed with a lot of he said. The one thing that he was dead wrong about was how long did it would take to, to get something done. And uh, I could tell you that as fact. The, the big difference is in the steroid era – and I know we're up against a commercial here. In the steroid era, you couldn't really unwind it that fast. So, yeah, it was going to take 10 years because you have guys that are still on the cycles – Stopping it immediately could be very detrimental for their health. You didn't know who was doing it, who wasn't doing it, how prevalent it was. It was just kind of coming out of the bag. This is different because yep. you could say all teams knock it off now. Have each side sign off on it. I think the players union would be okay with it for the health of their game. And it, it could it could get done immediately. Gino, let's continue the conversation because it's a good one. Let's take our, our last commercial break, come back, more baseball talk. Let's talk a little... NBA All-Star Game, as well as Wilder Fury 2. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voice This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the show.com Now, back to this
1: week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, closing things out. and yeah, Just a, a conversation that, I mean, will go on for a long time. It's... As we were talking a little bit during the commercial break about how, you know, I don't, I don't think the players union would would react as like Manfred and a lot of the baseball people think they would. Because this feels like a little bit different in, in that you it, you don't have, it's not management against the players. Like the players did something wrong and they impacted and they affected other players. So they're speaking up for themselves. Correct. Yeah, look, and I
2: think at the end of the day, I think the players all want to, you know, be on the same page about this. You know, I don't think that there are some teams that are like, you know what, we are cool with other teams cheating. You know what I mean? so I think at the end of the day, they probably want to all, you know, be synonymous on this, get something done quickly, have it be put behind them. Because they know that it, it impacts the game. It impacts the integrity of the game, how the public views the game, the interest level of the game. Maybe even most importantly, kind of forgotten the discussion, the example that we set for, you know, young little leaguers and, and, and kids that are fans of baseball and seeing these adults do this, whatever it takes to win type mentality. And it's all about the money and winning. And it's, it's just not a good look. It's not a good example. So it would behoove them to get something done, you know.
1: Let let's let's yeah, as I say, we could we could talk about this all the whole time. Oh, you yeah. know, we could talk oh, yeah. about this for like two or three shows, but let's kind of move on because there are a couple other things. Did you like the the Elam ending and the change in the NBA All-Star game? I thought it was it, now, I was nervous as hell every time like when it started getting intense late when like LeBron and AD had the ball, I'm just going like, "Please don't tweak an ankle right now. Please, this would be awful." But from a viewership standpoint, from an intensity standpoint, it was freaking amazing i absolutely loved it
2: yeah i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna have you kind of do all the commentary on this one because to be completely honest with you i didn't watch any of it live uh, i just i just saw whatever i saw on on, on sports center and the highlight shows um as as many are are aware we are in the middle of a, a new proposed cba between the nfl and uh and my union The NFL Players Association, which actually is the NFL Players and Agents Association, Um, but that's a little bit too long. So it's just abbreviated into one a and we're in the middle of a negotiation right now as well as I'm in the middle of a negotiation for a uh, restricted free agent client of mine, which is Zach Wood, somebody that we talk about quite a bit on the show because I represent him. So um, I can't get into too many details about those talks, but I don't want to shift gears of the conversations, you know. So the bottom line is I, I was busy this weekend and I, and I missed. But what I heard was a really, really compelling and exciting all-star game weekend.
1: It's called the Elam ending. And what they did was it, you just you have a target score at the end. So there's so they, no, they
2: added what twenty four was the way it was shaped so out, the, right?
1: Yep. At the end of the third quarter, they just added twenty four points to the team that was leading. So now you have a target, and uh, LeBron's team was down, I think, nine points at the. So they had they had to get basically thirty three, whereas Giannis's team only had to get twenty four in the fourth quarter. And so in the fourth quarter, there's no time on the clock. There's only a shot clock. So you're playing. It's basically pickup. It's at, It's on, You're like you're pickup on the on the streets. You're at the park playing pickup, and. It was the intensity felt like a game seven of the NBA Finals. I kid you not. I mean, we're talking guys getting really tight, turning the ball over, taking bad shots. Um, They're starting to complain to the refs about fouls and missed foul calls. And then. And I even saw some like diving for loose balls and stuff. Oh, yeah. And then at the very end, what was great was it got to the point where LeBron's team. Only needed three more points in order to get the target score, and they were up. And the uh, Giannis's team was still down by four. So what ends up happening is, every time LeBron's team brings the ball up to court, they're trying to think: Are we are we going you know three pointer to win it, or are we going to attack, try to get an easy bucket? Because they were basically giving you layups, because it's it's another possession for them. They're just you know fully guarding the three point line at one point, LeBron, you know, got a little not, I don't, I don't know about nervous, but he took a shot from like the logo from like one step in front of half court, just kind of trying to end the game. Cause they were going up and down and it was, I mean, it was awesome. It's great when you can see the best of the best against each other. Cause I love seeing the little things like who is the alpha amongst those guys. When you have the best, the, the top, you know 8 to 10 basketball players in the world out there you know on the court at the same time who is the one that's that's really the alpha who sticks out who stands out and i'll tell you on the east coast team it was guys like Kyle Lowry, who was really funny. He was taking charges. He took like three charges in the All-Star game, which was which was insane. And, and then, you know, Giannis was we got we got these like Giannis and LeBron back and forth, where Giannis just stuffed LeBron once. And then LeBron stole the ball from Giannis and he goes back the other way. Kawhi hit eight threes. Chris Paul, for the first time in his entire career, Chris Paul was the recipient of an alley oop dunk. He threw down an alley oop. And uh, I saw on ESPN stats and info he has assisted on 683 alley oops in his wow. career, and he's never and he's never been on the other one, end of it. And he jammed one in the All Star game. He's on some really weird like plant based diet now. He said he feels like five years younger. But it was uh, the last ten years. I it, it's back the, the All Star game and really All Star weekend is background noise for me. But I got him. I got it. I have no reason because you know I me. Mean? If it's if something stinks, if I don't like it, I'm going to tell you. This was good. It was fun. Even the the three-point contest was fun. Um, The slam dunk contest was fun. There was some controversy there. There was like a tie, and then they had to have a dunk off. Aaron Gordon got screwed out of winning. I think there was a good—
2: We had a friend of the show call a shot with Aaron Gordon, too. I was thinking about that when I saw that after uh, reading the headlines of him getting maybe jobbed on that. He did. He really got screwed.
1: I think a lot of it— unfortunately with the with everything that ha- with the news with Kobe Bryant's passing um a, a few weeks ago now it it's been sad but it's been this real like galvanizing force of the NBA and it's really brought a lot of people together and you see people who maybe didn't like each other or had like feuds and they're kind of hugging and shaking their ha- hands and kind of like you know down the road with it and it was just a very it was emotional weekend and it was it was good it just seemed like everybody wanted to like wanted to promote the sport of basketball, wanted to kind of show their respects by – by playing hard and I will say this Kobe would have loved watching that game like the way that they ended he would have been laughing smiling when they're diving on the floor like that's the kind of intensity that he played with all the time so it was a blast and I, I hope they continue doing it I, I heard an interview with the with the guy who created this the Elam ending and he said they're talking about doing this in the G League they're talking about doing this uh, overseas in some European leagues they're talking about maybe doing this like you know, in different places because it's it's fun. It makes the end of the game. You know, you don't get fouling because there's no time. It doesn't matter anymore. Sure. Right? Like you don't have people that are fouling, to try to stop the clock so they can get another possession. It's not going to come down to like a, a you know ten free throws back and forth and who misses their free throws. It's just going to be like who can execute better down the stretch. I loved it, man. It was a blast.
2: Interesting. It would be interesting to see if uh, if they could even consider uh, a way to. Integrate that into the regular season, like
1: one of your division
2: rival like- matchups, you know, out of the four, you know, you, you play with this kind of ending or maybe one on ho- at home, one on the road, you know, just to spice things up over a long season. I mean, I know that sounds kind of, you know, wild. But, you know, the sports that make the most, you know, changes uh, and adopt to kind of what the the, the fans want is typically the one that's doing the best and the most relevant. I mean, yeah. the king of that's NFL. Look how many times they've made changes. Oh, yeah. They'll even change a rule in the middle of the year on what a catch is or, or you know, things of that nature. So I think – Real
3: quick,
1: uh, so you, you said that, and it's kind of a, a little transition, and then I want to spend sure. a couple of minutes on the on boxing before we get out. Sure. Have you been paying attention at all to the XFL? What are some of your your, your quick thoughts? And you, because you know, when you said the rule changes, that's what made me think. Yep. I, I think there are at least a few a few things the XFL is doing that the NFL is going to take a long hard look at, and it starts with the kickoffs.
2: Yeah, I think there's there there are a few things that I think are uh, going to be adopted by the NFL. There's no there's no doubt about that. In terms of my thoughts on on the XFL, you know, it's it it's minor leagues. You know, it's minor league, uh, you know, baseball in, in in a football variety. It's long overdue. I'm glad they, they have it. Um, unless I've got a client playing, it's probably not something I'm going to be watching. Um, a client or a coach that I'm friends with or somebody that I know that um, is, is, you know, I want to see how they're doing, you know, type thing. Uh, you know, because I have, I have some friends that are involved, even up to the director of player personnel for the entire league, Eric Garco. So Eric Garco. So um, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not super interested from a from a spectator perspective, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I do uh, appreciate the coverage that it's been getting. Like ESPN, ABC, and Fox Sports, they're treating this like a regular football game that they would. They have. Their, some of their top crews announcing the game. They have uh, some of their top reporters there, um getting the you know interviews and getting sound bites like immediately following play. So i I this version of the XFL has a much better chance to stay around, hang around, and be a minor league. And this has obviously a much better chance than the AAF ever had. It, it, we talked about it, you know, even last year when it was in the infancy. I trust the people that are running this league. And the people that Vince McMahon has kind of given power. And so that's why I feel like, and we know Vince has plenty of money. That's why I feel like this will, this at least has a shot to maybe be that feeder system that you, you mentioned on, on social media, why it could succeed because there's no real minor league system for the NFL.
2: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see also, you know, how, how does this all play out? Like when I look at my crystal ball, five years from now, 10 years from now, does it eventually be an actual competing league, you know, kind of like way back when, I don't know how many people know this. I I'm, I'm kind of a historian on the baseball side, but the American league and the national league, were actually competing entities. Same thing with the AFC and the NFC. They were competing entities and they were an different. ABA, you know, right, I'm sorry. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, um, you know, in baseball, I mean, I, I had somebody not that long ago ask me, why is the national League called the senior circuit? Well, it was the league that was around first before the American league started. So, um, when I look at my crystal ball, five, year, five years from now, I wonder. I look and I and I and I try to envision: Is it going to be a competing league where, you know, the USFL in the early mid '80s was a competing league, and uh, you know, they went after like Steve Young and Reggie White and Jim Kelly and a lot of Hall of Famers right out of college. So, does the XFL enter that marketplace in the same way? We already know that they have one advantage in that they can get a Trevor Lawrence or anybody eligibility is not an issue when it comes to the XFL so will they be a, a competitor or will they work together with the NFL so that it is more of a feeder league cuz that could be interesting as well maybe you have some round 6 round 7 draft picks that didn't get to see you know the playing field but you want them to develop You know, um, so there's maybe some rights assigned back and forth or maybe like soccer where you sell contracts, things of that nature. It'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, but I know you want to get to some some. Yeah, we only have like two
1: or three minutes. So let's quick. We have Wilder Fury 2 this weekend and a little bit of fireworks you see at the press conference. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, This is one of the biggest heavyweight fights in people are saying since uh, I think Tyson Lewis. This is probably like the biggest one since we actually have some legit heavyweights in here. Right now, I'm looking on the odds. Deontay Wilder is minus 120 on the money line. Tyson Fury is plus 100. I mean, it is a pretty evenly matched fight. What concerns me is that Tyson Fury's made some changes. Mike, he had he he hired a new trainer, and he's he's kind of talking like he's gonna try to to box a little different in this fight, and he's gonna try to maybe knock him out. Which, I, I don't know. I mean, Tyson Fury fought pretty well when they went to the draw against each other, I don't think too much needs to be changed. I just don't like changing your whole, and I don't know if he's going to, but I don't like the talk from the Fury camp coming into this. I'm leaning Wilder here.
2: But, you know, he sure looks like he's in good shape, doesn't he? He
1: does. He, he's in great shape.
2: Yeah, he, he looks, he, for the eye test, he looks pretty good. But, you know, I think Wilder is... uh You know, he's the guy that I'm rooting for. Let's put it to you that way. Um, They're trying to make it out to be like, you know, they had this little pushing contest or whatever, but apparently they're actually really good friends and wilder, was big time there for Fury during his struggles a couple of years ago, yep. almost yep. like life saving type lifeline. Support that, you know. So um, I'm impressed with Wilder as a young man. He speaks eloquently he's and focused um, man. You know, he
1: looks razor focused this week. Yes, Everything that I've been reading and seeing, he's like he's got no time for the crap that you know. Fury is more of the showman and who 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 likes to pomp and circumstance. So I mean, I'm really excited. This is the most excited for a fight that I can and, and I remember. Maybe one of the most that I've ever been because I hope that it's a good fight. Then we get another one. We get. They've already said that you know, as long as the loser is willing to accept the 40-60 split, there's going to be a third um, yep. fight well, We have series.
2: to close, though, so I'll tell you what, Gino. I don't mean to cut you off. Let's no, talk no. about the fight after yeah, we'll uh, we, we it witness week. it and we do a little bit of a recap. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're up against it, so have a tremendous sports weekend. See you same time, same place next week.